Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. On the 11th of January 1965, two young girls went missing on a beach called Wanda Beach and it was near Cronulla in Sydney, New South Wales. They were both 15 years old, they were both from West Ride, and the way their bodies were found, it's been described as the crime which robbed Australia of its innocence, and whether or not that's true, and it is something of a poetic assertion, this week we are looking at the Wanda Beach murders. Dad, I didn't actually know about this crime until you alerted me to it, and God, it is absolutely awful. How did you, why did you want to pick this story for this week? I love beaches. I've always loved the remoteness of some beaches. I mean, let's face it, Australia is surrounded by beautiful beaches. Mm -hmm. Back in the 1960s, this particular beach, which is sort of north of Cronulla, Mm -hmm. so for people that don't know, know what we're talking about or where we're talking about, it might be a good idea to have a look at some maps, no matter where you are in the world to sort of get a sense of its location in terms of, you know, Sydney. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a great divide in Sydney about, you know, which beaches are the best beaches. You've got people on the northern beaches from Manly to Palm Beach Mm -hmm. where your kids are... That's where we grew up. Where you grew up. Yep. You spent your whole life, well, up until a certain point. And then you've got the eastern suburbs, you've got the famous Bondi Beach, where most people from overseas will come to Bondi Beach. And the reigning king, has he been, is he a king yet? Who? The reigning, you know, the guy that's about to become the king of England. Oh, Charles, yeah, no, no, I I don't know if he's been, the coronation is coming up. Okay, cool. So, So, but when he is king, Mm -hmm. he... There's a very famous photograph of him on Bondi Beach running out of the water and some girl, you know. Anyway, I'm just saying that when most people come to Sydney, they go to Bondi Beach. Okay. And I was running on Bondi Beach this morning and I actually, Paul, we're in our fifth year Mm -hmm. and I contacted you and I literally couldn't believe we've never touched on this story. I just, I had to actually do some internal loose units research because this is the first sort of serious story for this year, isn't it? This is... um, Yeah, kind of. I mean, look, it's a a terrible crime. I didn't actually know about it. It's... 
How, well, forgive me, Dave, but what year were you born? 1960. So Okay. So you were a five-year-old when this happened. I was five, and I was living in Armidale. And I'll tell you now, mm-hmm. for those that don't know, and I'm stating the bleeding obvious, but it's really important that I say this from the outset, Sydney and the world was a completely different time. Evident by the fact that the two girls, the uh, the unfortunate victims of this horrendous unsolved crime. Yeah, uh, Mar- Marianne Schmidt and uh, Christine Sharrock were their names. That's right, and they they were they were best friends. Mm. They were fifteen, and they lived in Ride. Now, your mother lived in Ride, Paul, which is not incredibly exciting suffice to say that Christine actually lived in Ride during this time and we used to have these trains I was thinking about this while I was pounding the sand on Bondi Beach this morning now I know that I do become mildly obsessed sort of obsessed with our stories yeah but I there's something about this story that I find very unsettling and I said to Christine this morning that this story has affected me greatly but I can't pinpoint the reason why. Well, just in the abstract, I mean, Australian beach culture is a really big part of our identity and I don't know, I never really associate the beach with crime but how often do bodies wash up on the beach? How often are bodies found on the beach? Is this a... Regular. Was it- and was it, was it only a matter of time before this happened? One has to also consider, Paul and listeners, that mm. there are many, many crimes that have been committed where they've never found the bodies. Right. It's not out of the question, particularly with sand hills that are continually moving, to bury a body and, you know, over time the sand dunes just take over, Mm -hmm. increase in height. And then, of course, you have, because they're protected areas, and and rightfully so. Mm. You know, you don't just go and mine, although it happens up north, but generally speaking, they're, they're untouched. And then you get sort of vegetation. So who knows what's underneath the ground, so to speak. And... But I wanted to touch on these trains that were called the Red Rattlers. The reason they were called Red Rattlers is that they were sort of a reddish burgundy colour and they rattled. And I don't know whether anyone actually can remember train doors that you physically had to... And these are doors that were up to 100 years old. I mean, we're talking early 20th century. Mm-hmm. You had, They had a big bronze sort of lever and you had to literally press the lever down and, and use all your strength. I mean, how a kid would do it is beyond me. Open the door to get out of the train. And the seats were incredibly hard, uncomfortable, green vinyl. These children, so it's the two 15-year-old girls and then siblings. And, you know, the kids ranged in age from 10 down to 5. It's a big trip. 
they had to get permission from the grandmother because one of the girl's mother um, had to go into hospital. So she's actually in hospital. And the grandmother reluctantly sort of... It's a big thing to sort of let these kids travel two hours to Cronulla Beach. From Ride... Cronulla Beach was the only beach they could get to. Now, they had to firstly go to a suburb in Sydney called Redfern, which mm-hmm. is fairly notorious, let's say that. It has been gentrified a lot it has. Um, it has. by now, but I'm guessing back in the 60s it was a little Ooh, bit dangerous. You know, there were parts of, of Redfern when I was a police officer and mm-hmm. when I was a firefighter. There were streets in Redfern, listeners, in the 80s and 90s that had signs saying... Well, basically, if you were in the fire brigade or the ambulance and you had to attend a job in certain streets in Redfern, you had to wait for police backup. Right, okay. Like, And it was... It's another world. So they'd get the train to to Redfern, then you can imagine there were six kids. I mean, it's just... And they had a one-pound note. That's that's what they were given, which is okay. not, not a tiny amount of money because it's mm. pre, pre-decimalisation, which happened the following year in 1966. They make their way to Cronulla. What happened was the day before they went to Cronulla, the weather was very bad. So it was cancelled for a day. Mm -hmm. Then they catch the train, get off at Cronulla, walk down onto the beach, and the weather was bad. It was windy, big seas, Mm -hmm. and they were kind of, well, one can surmise after making that incredible two-hour journey that, you know, they're a little bit sort of peeved. So one of the young boys actually basically insisted that he be allowed to go for a swim. So one of the the girls took him for a swim. Then they started to make their way north of the Cronulla Surf Club and they made their way up towards Wanda. So in, in Australia, we've got these incredibly long beaches. Manly Beach is a good example. You can stand at one end of the beach and you can clearly see one and a half kilometres away the other end of the beach. But within that beach, you've got three surf clubs. Yes. And Manly, case in point, you've got Manly at the southern end in the middle, you've got North Stain, and at the end, you've got Queenscliff. So listeners, whilst you might be sort of traversing distance, you are actually going into different beaches that are controlled by different surf clubs. So geographically, it looks like one dis- distinct beach, but actually it's three completely separate uh, entities. Really. With autonomous life-saving groups. And yes. they're, very, they're very territorial. Well, also, it would be impossible for one group to you know police that much. That's right. Good point. Yeah, okay. And But this beach, is it's windswept. It looks across to the airport. It looks across to Kernel, where they keep with a big oil refinery storage facility is. Yep. What happened was they got all their belongings and they basically left them in a sort of rocky area uh, because there weren't many people around. And they then sought refuge behind the sand hills from the wind. It would have been a very sort of a major sort of onshore wind creating big waves, very mm. loud, very noisy. And you know, Paul, you've been on a beach where it's incredibly windy and the sand's being whipped up. It's sort of like, you know, cutting through your, your ankles. And the best thing that they could do was get over one of the sand hills. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's like a massive windbreak. 
There they took shelter. And it's at this point that the two girls said that they were going to go back and get the belongings for the for the, the four kids. Yeah. So the kids knew that the belongings were south of where they were. Okay. Because they'd been walking north. But weirdly, this is when the story starts to go absolutely crazy. The two girls, the 15-year-old, started walking north. And one of the boys shouted out and said, you're going in the wrong direction. And they turned around and laughed and kept going. That's the last time any of the children saw their sister and her best friend. Those children sat in the sand hills, the sand Mm -hmm. dunes, for almost five hours. The youngest one being five, the oldest being ten. They waited for their sister and her best friend. Can you imagine? They had the presence of mind to realise that at 6pm that fateful evening, the last train headed out of Cronulla to get them to Redfern and then to get get home to ride. And those kids, at 5 o'clock, they left. They went down, they travelled down south, they found all the belongings that the sisters had basically left in a relatively safe place, including their purses, which is bizarre. They gathered up all the belongings and they went home. So there lies the beginning of a tragedy. God, that's stressful. Okay. The next day, yep. a gentleman with his nephews uh, walking around the sand hills, sand dunes. And it's a common thread, Paul, in a lot of our stories where you read the first account and it's all, it's, it's most often the case where the person that sees the body or bodies yep. describes them as store mannequins. Because Wanda Beach back in the 60s was, a, was basically a tip. Now, that sounds a little bit hard to believe because now it's a pristine location in Sydney's south. But it was a place where people used to dump cars. They used to dump old corrugated iron bottles, old toys, just stuff. It was littered with rubbish. And this gentleman saw a leg sticking out of the sand. Mm-hmm. He goes up to the leg and he realises that it is, in fact, a body. He makes his way to Cronulla Surf Club. Mm -hmm. And there's a caretaker there and he explains what he's seen. They call the local police and the police rock up. They go back to the scene and then they begin to realise that, unfortunately with just a very, very little bit of sort of looking around that it's actually two bodies. And 
then they began to realise the the gravity of the um, the wounds inflicted. Yeah, and then very interestingly, they discover a thirty five meter track, and every three meters, and this is really important. It's one of those points that I've been thinking about since I started investigating this case and it's problematic as you will begin to realise because what they realised that it's a basically a 35 metre trail of blood but every three metres there's a pooling of the blood. Now what does that indicate to you? That the whatever happened was happening in fits and starts. Does that mean someone was trying to escape stopping and then continuing further or does it mean... Very, very... Cry- Good did, the crime, did the crime occur uh, in increments? I don't know. Um, Paul, it's a, it's a, you're on the kind of the right track, but what it, what they've realised upon yeah. once it started to become a, a major investigation mm-hmm. was that one of the girls was being murdered, um, stabbed incredibly, like at the most unbelievable number of times, frenzied, but also the second victim managed to escape. She got as far as 35 metres from the, the crime scene. Right. She'd been pursued by the offender slash offenders. I think this is very something that I've not heard postulated at all, but there may have been one more, you know, may have been one, oh God, may have been more than one offender. Yeah. Um, she was then knocked to the ground. Uh, she would have un- undergone incredible um, injuries, bleeding profusely. Mm. And every three metres or so. So she was dragged back 35 metres through the sand, okay. which okay. is an incredible distance. And they're, they're saying, the police, one of the theories is that maybe the person was not a big, strong person, and maybe they, you know, found it incredibly demanding dragging a a, a dead or, or possibly, you know, unconscious teenage girl through the sand. So every time they'd stop for rest, she'd bleed out. Right. <clears throat> until they got back to the first victim. Now... I have read a lot about this case and, you know, it's difficult. I've got so many thoughts that are rolling around in my mind. Um, The injuries were appalling, but they found semen. Now, they found it on the bodies. I've read various reports to say that their hymens were intact, which generally indicates no intercourse. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Was it a case of the murderer or murderers committing these vile acts and then... Yeah, I know, I know. It's Or, you know, did that happen after? Did, did the, the offender right. offenders, did they, you know... It's no sort of polite way of putting it, but yeah. Now they had their pants cut, uh, removed. They both had incredible scratches on their faces, which which can indicate, you know, extreme, you know, sort of fighting. I guess. I mean, I just you can't imagine what it must be like. But there's a lot more to this story, Paul. Look, one of the really interesting things, uh, let's just say that it became one of the biggest police investigations in New South Wales history. At, do you know how many people were interviewed during this case, Paul? I'm guessing a lot. And you said something interesting before. Just quickly, you said something interesting because it is two 15-year-old girls and it seems difficult to me to believe that one person could corral two girls unless there was some... I, so I'm guessing, were they casting a really wide net? Did they have suspects in mind from the beginning? Look, they interviewed more than 7,000 people. Oh, my God. Okay. Making it the largest investigation in Australian history. Oh, my God. It's just unbelievable. Totally unsolved. Mm-hmm. But this is when it starts. If it's not interesting and fascinating and bizarre enough at this stage, this is really interesting. Neither of the girls consumed alcohol. It was not their thing. They were really, dare I say it, uh, it's a term used, let's just pull this term out of the 60s, but I'm going to describe them as they were good girls. They, yeah, I, I just, they were just decent. They, you know, there's been lots of research done, you know, they were they were just good. They they didn't drink. I'm not saying drinking's really bad, evil, blah blah blah, but it becomes very important because during the post mortem this is just bizarre, one of the girls had a blood alcohol content of point oh one five. Hmm. Which in today's language is almost three times the legal limit. One of them. But in her stomach during the post-mortem, do you know what they found inside her stomach, Paul? No, I don't. Okay. They found cabbage and celery. That's all. 
I don't know what that means. I'll tell you what it means. Have you heard of a Chico roll? Oh my god, yes. It's it for those of you outside of Australia, a Chico roll is an iconic sort of service station grade deep fried kind of like a really bad big spring roll, but yes. Okay, well, they, so they they were I I can remember the package that they'd slide the knob, knobby type. It's like this cylinder. waxy paper with Chico written on it. Yeah, and they just drop it in. These things are iconic. It was sort of the inverted kind of putting a condom on. I haven't seen one for well over a decade, by the way. Mm. But they were big time in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm, very. So how did possibly the, the contents of a Chico roll mm. end up in one of the girls' stomach? It's a good question. It is a very, very good question. And, and what about the alcohol? So let's just now put on our detective caps. Um, the girls met at least one person. Right. Was it prearranged? In my opinion, no. Okay, so it wasn't that they they went there with the kids under the pretext of, look, when we've got the kids over, we're just going to sneak off and hang out with some guys. That wasn't... That's not what you think. <sighs> Jumping ahead... Mm-hmm. The police, when they went to the girls' bedrooms, yes, discovered diaries and discovered that they actually had met two boys hmm. at the same location or yep. in that vicinity yep. and actually kissed them. So that's kind of interesting. But... It just doesn't, to me, ring true that they'd meet two boys, kiss them, they thought they were kind of nice, they go back and then they get murdered. That's... Because if that's the case, then you're talking two, probably two young boys. That mm-hmm. I don't think two boys just become rabid murderers sort of overnight. Yeah. With these cases, mm-hmm. there's a lot of prehistory. Um, lots of things, you know, you can talk to criminal psychologists and get get a good understanding. But I don't think that's the case. I think they've walked away from the girl, uh, you know, the siblings, kind of left them there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just gone for a walk. You know, maybe they met up with a young person but was working in conjunction with an elderly, uh, sort of an older person who did definitely have nefarious thoughts. I mean, the temptation, if you're a deviant sort of predator, Mm -hmm. if you get two girls by themselves, and as the police said later on, you could scream until the cows came home and no one could hear you because you're behind a sand dune no one on the ocean side can hear because of the waves. It was the perfect place if you wanted to kill someone to to do it and then bury their bodies easily because it's sand. You know, but the fact that there's food inside the stomach, there's alcohol in one of the girls, makes you then think that they actually spent some time. I mean, obviously, because they know with the food in the stomach that that food was in the stomach up to one hour 
prior to death because it had not been digested, but they knew it had been consumed. So the, the mother of one of the girls was in hospital and her son came to see the mother and let her know this unfolding tragedy. And he actually spoke to the mother that night. This is before they'd found the girls. And the mother weirdly, in a prophetic sense, said to the son, I don't think they're ever going to come home. Like she had this this feeling and then it all became, you know, revealed. And tragically, uh, one of the the brothers who was, you know, a young boy, uh, and this this will sort of shock a lot of listeners. It certainly shocked me, and I found I found it very upsetting. But then I think you know back in those days things were very different. But one of the siblings asked the police, "Could he please see the crime photos?" And the police showed the young boy the photos of the two girls, including the fact that one of the girls had a knife wound to her throat that almost severed her head. And this poor young boy got to see the photographs. I think that's... I don't know, don't know what to say. Um, just... Yeah. i got to ask, how... How were the girls killed specifically and what like what kind of state were their bodies in when they were found? Um, you mentioned scratches, but how were they actually killed? They both had multiple stab wounds. Okay. They had severe head injuries, skulls crushed. One of the girls had her throat slit so badly that according to the the, the boy mm-hmm. i have i have gone through the australian police journal through all the annals i can't find anything on this case oh that's I, interesting it's interesting i just i just don't i don't get it i don't understand how one of the most famous cases in australian history um there would not be many people in sydney that have not heard of the Wanda Beach murders. Mm. Now, there was a fireman with his nephews, allegedly, according to all the reports, he was the last person to see the girls. He saw them walking. And when I joined the New South Wales Fire Brigades, he was a very, very senior officer in the New South Wales Fire Brigades. Right. And the legend, the the chat in the fire brigade at the time, was that he was actually a suspect. But I refute that because I've actually done the research. He was he was not a suspect. But like in any organisation, whether you know the fire brigade is a great example where people have got lots of free time. You know, these sort of legends and rumours grow. And I think that's really unfortunate for this particular officer in the fire brigade. Mm -hmm. How he'd gone from, you know, being the last person, uh, you know, with with members of his family to see the girls in the dunes, which would have been very unnerving, but he was about 800 metres away from them. He says, 
that they were hurrying through the sand dunes and they were continually looking behind them as though they were being followed or pursued. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And he was a very reliable witness. And there were various people. The problem with that particular area is that, and I'm sort of making a sort of a rather blanket statement, but I'm just going to put it out there, and that is that it was frequented by some pretty unusual people, some perverts, people that used to be, you know, masturbate while people were having sex. You're saying weird shit, like weird dodgy shit happened on these dunes all the time. On the dunes, all the time. Plus it was a rubbish tip. Plus, which made it really, really difficult to, to look for evidence. And, you know, they found this tiny bit of a blade, a broken mm. blade, and it actually had blood on it. And it could have been the case that, that you know, the offender used a, a knife, either that they'd brought with them or it had been found in the dunes, but the frenzied attack actually broke off part of the knife. And then I was sitting last night thinking about the force required to drive a knife into someone and then actually break the knife off. Right. It's just, it's terrible. <clears throat> but what one of the terrible parts of this particular case is that they had, you know, the police had very, very valuable physical evidence, mm-hmm. bearing in mind that back in the 1960s, they did not even know about DNA evidence. It, it just okay. wasn't a thing. Yeah. And so. you look at the police officers at this crime scene. I've actually got a photo here and you can see you can see bits and pieces of their bodies sort of jutting out of the sand. And I can, I can see now how somebody stumbled across this and did think it was, you know, bits of a mannequin. Uh, but there's a line of about, I would say, 12 police officers, some detectives, some, I would say, general duties. And it's just a different era. I cannot imagine this era of cops having anything approaching sophisticated forensic methods. Is that a, is that a fair assumption? Mm, I think that's, that's, that's reasonable, Paul. Um, yeah. You know, they, they brought in some heavy equipment. They set up some big sieves. They actually had uh, undercover police mm. dressed in bathers lurking in the sand hills. Now, is that because typically the murderer will occasionally return to the scene of a crime and they hoped they'd get someone coming yeah, back they'd, to check yeah, it out? Yeah, they just wanted to, you know, sort of get get some leads or even yeah. talk to people. That The problem, one of the problems in this case is that because it was an area of sort of ill repute, mm-hmm. which was frequented by lots and lots of people, yeah. um, the problem there is that when the police are trying to get information, no one wants to come forward because they don't want to be perceived as having been in that area for nefarious reasons. Uh So if you are a compulsive masturbator, or you are a nudist, or you're, you know, this this was a, and I'm just going to use a term that, yes, listeners, I know it's not PC today, but back in the 60s, this was a, a, a haunt for you know, various people. So there were all sorts of things happening there and people would have seen things. There's no denying that. But unfortunately, because of the nature of the types of people, even if you were fossicking for Australian fauna, mm-hmm. can you imagine going to the local police station and saying, hi, look, I was looking for, you know, rare plant species up in the dunes. The police, well... 
a lot of the police and probably more so back then would just go yeah right you're so i feel that a lot of information was lost okay well uh, you know they say that the the phrase cold case rarely applies more than now when you know so much time has passed and memory gets weird don't get me wrong i'm looking at photos from the 12th of january 1965 the day after the bodies were found and you know, there's investigation photos. There's still records. Getty Images is full of black and white pictures of this stuff. It is... There are historical records being kept. But that doesn't mean that memory doesn't fade and that things don't get uh, a little bit a little bit difficult mm. the longer time passes. Yeah, um, yeah. Paul, uh, they offered a reward that was the equivalent of about half a million dollars. Right. Um, Do those ever work, by the way? Do those ever bring out accurate yes. information? yes. They do. But this one, no. Um, <clears throat> now, listen, it's important, listeners and Paul, to be aware mm. that there were three main suspects. Okay. And I think next week, Paul... We can look at them? We can look at the three suspects. Now, one of the suspects... Yeah. Who was really fucking heavy duty. He went on to become in the top 10 wanted by the FBI and became a notorious mass murderer. Oh, my God. Okay, so we've got some stuff to really sink our teeth into next week. Big time. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I did not expect this to be such an intricate murder. And next week, I also want to delve into the assertion that this is when Australia lost its innocence. Because, I mean, that is the kind of poetic headline that papers would love to run with. But maybe it's true. I don't know. But we'll figure that out next week on Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Also, Dad, coming up later this week on Loose Ends, we have received another anonymous tip about the so-called Darlow book. Bloody hell. A big one. So, Fuck. Paul, strap in, mate. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I just didn't know that. No, no. It arrived very late from an anonymous email address on the Loose Units email account, and uh, let's just say we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Bloody this pod- I know Fuck. this podcast is escalating in a way that is very interesting and kind of stressful. So we're really happy that you're all with us twice a week, every week. So please tell your friends, tell your family to listen, grab the books. Uh, if we had merch, we'd ask you to buy it. Really, we're just so excited to have you back for 2023. It's really wonderful to be back in the driver's seats doing loose units. The well, you don't, you don't drive. Well, you know, give me one of those little plastic wheels so I can pretend to drive next okay, to you. Cool. Yeah, great. Well, that's another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. I'm Paul, that's John, and we will see you this week, later this week, for more Loose Units. Bye-bye, everyone. Cheerio. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.